Oh, hi, Luna. Hi. Hey, operator. How are you doing? Pretty good. Yourself? Um, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. This week's a little busy because I'm like half half packed in the Stew Stew studio and mm-hmm. half not packed so I can push record and record still. But it's coming to a head. We'll be out of here and into the new place. I also have a, I have a fun, um, I needed to get a studio space in the other place. I didn't want it inside the house because I've got small humans that run around and they love to interrupt me. So I was like, oh man, do I build a shed outside? Do I, what do I, how do I do this? And everything costs a ton of money when you're building out of something. Even if you bought a kit, you could save some money, but then you've got all the time and labor in building, building out the thing. So I found this guy named George. He's brilliant. Um, saw a bunch of his work and I was like, oh, there's something different about all of the stuff that he builds. Cause he's like, I'll build you a shed that fits your proportions. I'll put it anywhere. I could, I could put it on your roof if you wanted. I can, I can put it in the backyard or front yard, whatever. And I thought, this is the guy. This is the guy. So I looked at some of his work and I'm like, there's something kind of different about, I can't put my finger on it. Uh, talked to him. He's like, I'm like, I need a, I need you to build me a studio that I can like literally on a forklift drive into my garage and it's there and then I can move it when I move in a couple of years to a big farm. Right. And he's like, I got the idea. And so I go over to his place because he's like, I started building the floor for this. So I want you to come by and make sure it works for you. I go over and I meet George. He has one and a half teeth. One and a half teeth. Just, <laughs> I love this guy. I know George like this too. He has... He has the same amount of teeth. <laughs> uh, I'm getting directions to his house. He says, you're going to go up to this road. You're going to take the roundabout. And when you get to the roundabout, I'm the old blue house on the road. You'll see me to the side. So I get to the roundabout. I go to this blue house and I'm sitting there and he's like, "You're." I'm, I'm glad you just reached out to me because I was about to go to Wendy's. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So I pull into the driveway. I see this gal. This lady in a truck, sitting in a truck, and I'm like looking at her, and I'm trying to make like eye contact, so she's like, "Oh, your guy's here. He's here." She got like, bright. She thought, got like really bright red hair, and it's Wendy. Yeah. It's actually Wendy. <laughs> actually, <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. I didn't know. Yeah, he was going down on Wendy. <laughs> I thought he was going down to Wendy's. Blue skirt. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> she had a scrunchie in her hair, though. It was kind of different. Anyway, so I'm like trying to make eye contact with this lady in this truck because I figure she's got context and she'll see me and she'll be like, oh, hey, George, your, your guy's here or like whatever. She looks at me like five times and the fifth time she looks at me, she's like, I think this guy's going to kill me. And I'm like, Whoa. um, so I text, I text George and I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting in your driveway and and I'm looking at a lady in a truck, but I don't see you. And he's like, oh, it's the other old blue house on the other side of the roundabout. So there's this oh. other old blue house. He's like, I forgot my neighbor over there had a blue house too. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, I just freaked this lady they're, out. They're psychopaths. So, you should get out of there. <laughs> I was just waiting. I, th- I thought I was going to get gunned down as I'm backing. It's going to be the high-speed back backup chase you know <laughs> anyway i finally make it over to his place and on the description he says i use 
um, I use reclaimed wood. But when I hear reclaimed, I think of like a soccer mom that's building like a barn wood door in her home on sliders and, you know, it's aesthetic. No, yeah. this guy, he gets wood from torn down houses. Like it's, oh, no. it's reclaimed, but it's not like heritage version wood, yeah. you know, it's like plywood. Yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> so, so is is this his place is a sea of this wood and then he goes and picks through it and he builds your your shanty out of that. <laughs> uh so I I have a new studio that's coming along. Oh, you that's do. my story. Well, yeah. it's it's always I mean that old saying and I've found out recently that it is true like if it, if it sounds too good to be true it, it is. Right? Uh-huh. It always is. <laughs> Every single time. Oh no, I got whatever you need. I can build you on, built around top of your house. It's like, well, <laughs> dude, how how do you do? How this? would you do that? Out of what? Yeah, it's kind of like steepled yeah. at the top. Like, how do you balance that? <laughs> the awkward conversation with you're looking at the door and you're like, what is that hinge? Ma- is that bone? He's like, all right, yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> That's Wendy. <laughs> That's Wendy. <laughs> Oh man. oh man! How about you? What's anything Good. new with you? No, I, I, no. It's it's just you know it's cold out here. It's it's winter time. Shout out to everybody in the southern U.S. who got smoked with all that snow and ice and everything else. And I want to say something real quick about that too. It doesn't make them babies because they can't handle that. It makes them unprepared. Me living out here, I'm acclimated <laughs> to all this kind of stuff. It doesn't make me a tough guy. It's just that we've done with we've dealt with it before. And I'm sick of seeing yeah. people like crash on these people in the States. Like, man, it is tough what they're going through. Like, you're not ready for it and it hits you and nobody's got snow tires and never driven in the snow. Their pipes are freezing. They're, uh, but then you see like, oh, it's negative. It's negative five. It's like, well, you live in negative 40. Like, aren't you like putting your nose <laughs> up at them? I'm like, no, like they're, they don't even have winter clothes. So right. I, I'm feeling for those people right now and I hope that everything, uh, works out. Don't bring, Gas powered shit into your into your house to, to your warm house. it up. Just, just yeah, stop. You'll doing. die. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna start the lawnmower, and I believe the residual <laughs> heat from that could probably warm this small room up. Don't do that. Don't do it. Yeah, no, it's very true. It's all relative. I remember living uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Lots of freeways there. At the moment it started raining, you'd see ambulances on the freeways yeah. because. They're just not, you know, the roads aren't even used to, it starts raining on some of those roads and you get like lakes on top of the road and you're, and people just lose their minds. Yeah. So it's all relative. It doesn't, you know? it doesn't make them stupid or babies. They're just unprepared. No. This is on, this is yeah. unnatural stuff that's going on. Or maybe it's the, the new future, right? What a, what a 2021 off to a hot start. But. Yeah. It's awesome. I'm excited about the rest start. of the year. Yeah. Cold start. Okay. Hey, I've got a question for you. I got, I got one for you. Do you mind if I open this door because I'm smoking myself out? Yeah, I figured I could barely see you. You were pretty hotboxed in there. Let me just start my lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> hey, question. Drugs drugs related question for you. Oh, perfect. So I know hotboxing, like if you're if you're smoking something with THC in it or something sure. like that, you could hotbox and, you know, sort of a uh, contact high. Yep. Does it... Does it work the same for cigarettes? Like if you yeah. hot boxed in a car, it does. Well, it does. you get like your head would start swimming. You know, uh-huh. you. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not like suddenly I'm tripping up on that because I'm wondering like if a child is in a house 
where there's constantly cigarette smoke around them. I wonder if they become addicted to nicotine as much as anybody mm. else does. I know the secondhand smoke's not good for you. I always kind of like laughed about that too, where it's like, oh, sec- you, you, you don't realize that you're killing everybody with your secondhand smoke, right? <laughs> It's like, uh, like uh, they're killing themselves with the cigarette and the secondhand smoke as as well. Like double down. Right. Like I've always been yeah. kind of confused by that. Like how 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 bad is is it? Like it's almost like they're saying the secondhand smoke is worse than the actual smoke than the person is taking into their lungs directly. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, anyway. Now, well, I I can say I, this is probably not apples to apples. This is more like apples to school buses, but. Um, <laughs> When Sam, uh, we adopted Sam 2.0, mm-hmm. and when he was born, he actually had a nicotine dependency. He did because wow. yeah, his mother his mother smoked during the pre- pregnancy severely, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, he he had a nicotine dependency when he was born. Boy, talk about something hard to work through. I mean, you know, you got kids with jaundice and stuff, but when your kid has to kick the habit, oof, yeah, hard. And he's like a baby, like. Bringing it to their lips and getting them to like take a drag of it is very oh, difficult. It's so hard. They don't have that suck effect yet. You know, they don't know to drag. You know, take a deep drag. They're trying to you know feed off the cigarettes. Weird. As soon as they start latching onto the nipple, you just got to slip a, a a lit cigarette into their mouth there, and then you can take yes. care of their cravings. That's yes, what I did. It's yes. Yeah, it's called chest to butt, uh, chest to butt feeding. Also, once they get once they once they get the suck down right, you can give them nicorette, but you have to pre-chew it, and then you give them the nicorette gum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feed them like a like a robin, hey? just spitting, yeah. spitting the tobacco juice, dribbling it. <laughs> just, just get some saliva that's just really soaked in nicorette, and then you know just kind of dribble. Yeah, yeah, that'll exactly. do it. He looks good now. Shakes are off. It looks good. Colors coming back. Okay. Okay. All right. Hey, Luna, what is your favorite David Hasselhoff song? Oh, Jump in My Car. (laughs) Oh, that was a quick response. You know, (laughs) Jump in My Car. Uh, Man, the the one line from that is like, come on in, get a hot cup of coffee. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Is that really a line yeah. in it? Hot cup of coffee. I think at the end he kicks all the chicks out of his car too. He's like, get out of my car. He changes it to get out of my car. <laughs> that guy just lives by his own rules. Oh, he's, he's just he's amazing. Yes. My, mine has to be yeah. I, my, mine has to be a pa- the power ballad. Our first night together. From his 1985 album Night Rocker. Night Rocker, yes, sir. See what That's he did there with album. the album name? Yeah, see that Night Rocker. What did he do? He said a Night Rider. He called it Night oh, Rocker. That's so stupid. Yeah, it's super uh, stupid. It's not even that good. It's not. But check out this lyrical gold he's got going on. Here we are alone at last, face to face with no distractions, reaching out each other. E- wait, reaching out each of our separate world. Everything happened so fast. What could have been a chain reaction? Who can say where it might be tonight? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Chills, man. Yeah, isn't it? It sounds like I put a German song into Google Translate and then went <laughs> right, right into the recording booth with it. You know, just like, <laughs> this is a hit. Also... I think Ted Bundy and Bill Cosby have said these exact words before to some oh. semi-conscious victim somewhere. <laughs> it's along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. The Hoff has that charm that'll get you right into the car, and then suddenly you're in the trunk of the car dead. <laughs> you know? He, he just lulls you right in. 
So maybe that's what it was in the music video. He's like, get out of my car. He's like, kick it, literally kicking bodies out of the car. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, get out of my car and into my trunk. And let's go to the lake. How could this have happened? It's a chain reaction. Because yeah. <laughs> of my psychosis. <laughs> yeah. He's groovy, man. Did you see um, that one video where he was eating, I think it was Carl's Jr. A hamburger, he, yeah. Yeah, getting drunk on hamburgers. <laughs> I believe that was real too. Like his daughter's like, oh. "You're gonna stop drinking, Dad." And he's straight up real. Are you gonna do it? And he goes, "Yeah." And then you hear him go, "No." <laughs> <laughs> I swear too. Like he had the same architect. Because if you look at there's a there, don't watch this one, but there's a there's an R. Kelly video that leaked. Ooh, leaked, yeah, good one. Which is why he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is why he should be in prison if he's not. This video is why. But I swear it's the same bathroom that David Hasselhoff has when he's eating hamburgers. That's like kind of creepy. I'm like, what do you guys share? An apartment or something? Oh my God. Yeah, the Hoff doesn't need to convince anybody to get, get in his car or into his bedroom, man. He is, no. he is a, what a beast. He's, he's bigger than the rock. I saw him standing with the rock and he was taller than the rock. Yeah, he's six, I think he's six five, something like yeah. that. Yeah. What a man. Which, made filming Knight Rider difficult because he was so much taller than all of the actor counterparts that he had on the show. It was actually interesting. So charming, man. So charming. There are so certain charming. men, like, even though, like, I'm, I'm not in any way gay that I can have really discovered, um, <laughs> but like, when I when I am around a guy like Hasselhoff, I know a guy that looks just like him and, and, and has that charm, and he's always smiling, and he's always wanting to have a good time. And he put his arm around me one time, and he smelled, like, really good, and I was like, oh... This is why chicks like dudes. You found your hands just some all of a sudden wrapped around his waist. You're like, sorry, I, yeah. I don't know what's going on. I thought you were going to say something else. I don't got hands big enough, man. <laughs> yeah, there's something about the 80s, too, where like the, the heartthrob, as long as you oiled it down, they could. he kind of has that smooth... That smooth power lifter muscle, not like yeah. defined, you know, but it's got chest hair. So and much. It's brown and smooth. Yeah. And know? his chest is just so wide. He's like, yeah. a, like an eagle stretching his wings <laughs> out, you know? It's not even like a man, it's like a god. I think that that's what I'm attracted to. <laughs> Could you imagine? Right. You know, this phrase happened though, when they're oiling his body down and he's like, don't get it on my hair, don't get it on my hair. And he's like holding up his mullet and back, you know, like so yeah. they can get it, you know, don't, don't get it on my hair, don't get it on my hair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, there's some on my hair. You know what? That actually looks pretty good. Everything looks good on me though. Yeah. <laughs> get in my car. Oh, man. <laughs> you look good on me. <laughs> Okay, I got one more question for you. Okay. This is so, I was just thinking about this as I was uh, preparing this episode. Can you name all of our podcasts that we have here at 1159 Media? I can because I'm a numbers guy. With the 1159, I figured something out with uh, with those numbers. Okay. So, Dark Topic. <laughs> mm-hmm. True Crime Kent. Yep. Our current 911 calls. Uh, dead Time. On 911 calls, I was going to ask you. I I, t- I named nine one one calls nine one one calls podcast with the operator. Does that name make you sad? Does it? Do you feel left out? No, no. I think it's hilarious because we I could think change it's so it. So stupid. What, to what? What are you nine one one calls to? podcast with the operator and his senior assistant Jake? <laughs> Don't do that. No. no. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's it's enough. Yeah. I, I originally it was going to be called the call. 
I remember the call. you saying yeah, the call. The call. Yeah, yeah it was going to be the yeah. call. But then the operator, and then you uh, you renamed it. And I yeah. remember seeing it for the first time and being like, that is so stupid. But, but I, th- I, I thought think it works. Yeah, when I saw it, I was like, that's marketing genius because it's got, it's everything you need. It's like, you know where the milk's at. You know exactly where the milk's at. <laughs> it's, also, it's also very misleading because uh, even other like uh, podcast hyping sites have, have done a description saying like, <laughs> saying like that you're going to hear from an actual operator. They never right. heard the show before. <laughs> and, I love that. Uh, we reached yeah, some yeah. like top 10 list and they just like totally hack the description of the show. It's yeah. terrible. All ham fisted. Guess this is an actual operator doing the 911 calls <laughs> podcast. Hear it from one of the ones who are on the front lines, an actual 911 call operator. I'm like, oh, you never listen to the show. You're yeah. like that NBC lady. <laughs> yeah, we beat those the dispatchers up, so you left that out of the description. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, I, hey, I've, I've got a confession to make about Dark Topic because that's how all this started. Like, I was a fan of Dark Topic and I listened to your show for years before I ever knew you or talked to you or anything. Um, and even back in the day, I loved it so much, but I was, re- I, I was hesitant on who I would recommend it to because <laughs> the early episodes, mm-hmm. uh, when like, the OG stuff, like when you were just on your own, they, they're, they were a bit different. And me being somebody who has a sweary filter I am I I used your show as sort of my uh drug addiction. Guilty pleasure. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, exactly. I would, you know, some people use little squares of chocolate and they're like, "I'm going to eat this chocolate even though I'm going to die." <clears throat> you know, and other people take baths. Mine was your show and I uh and I I loved it, but but I would recommend it to select people because I'm like, "You can handle this." Okay. Okay, here's a recommendation for uh, oddly enough, I recommended it to my mom, and uh, oh, I would go over to her house, and I'd hear your voice, and it's like, the baby was dismembered in four different rooms, you know, and I'm like, mom, and she's like, what? I love it. Jack's great. I'm like, whoa. So I have a confession to make, though, because I was always very selective about who I recommended the show to because it was a little more sweary and all that, but man, mm-hmm. and it, this has nothing to do with me. It has to do with you and F.T. Norton and everything you guys are doing with the show is so amazing and it's been amazing for so long so I wanted you to know because I I always felt like if I recommended the show and they started with episode one that I'd have to tell them just get to like episode four then you're hooked you're hooked but I really believe now that the way I do it I just tell people you gotta listen to Dark Topic start start at the latest episode start at the newest Mm -hmm. episode and work your way backward because they'll fall in love with the show they fall in love with you and everything and by the end they're totally cool with the sweary parts (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> well, thanks, man. Thank you. And I, I have to credit F.T. Norton a lot for her, her writing that, that I brought in because before I was doing a lot of rambling and stuff, and that would get me into some trouble in, in, in the early days. And I would start with a really weird intro that lot, would lose a lot of people's attention. And I listened to a lot of what she had to say, and I've kind of restructured the show in, in very small ways. So I, I really appreciate you saying that because I did work hard on getting quicker to the point and then kind of backloading all the weird stuff that I have to say to the audience and about my personal life and all that stuff in the back so you can kind of skip that. 
um, and I've really worked on my delivery and and really getting to know the case and act, and truly caring about the victims and, and and the perpetrator. I mean, I've always yeah. done that. I've always tried to understand who the perpetrator is and kind of take their side when it came to their part in the whole thing. Um, so I feel like I'm I'm exactly where I need to be with Dark Topic, and, and it does mean a lot for you to say that. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah. If 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 you're listening to this in your earballs and you haven't listened to Dark Topic, just know that like Jack's level of writing, his ability to speak into a microphone and evoke emotion, also his self awareness in his writing and the way he does these stories is unparalleled in my opinion. It's it's excellent. Uh, so give it a shot if you haven't listened to it. I don't know why you wouldn't have, uh, but now that I've recommended it. Obviously, you feel compelled, so I'll even let you pause this one. Go start, in a, start the latest episode. That was time. really nice of you, Rob. I, I don't know why you did that, but I, I appreciate it. Hey, listen, there's the, we have uh, Brutal over on um, yep. on Patreon as well. Kent, Kent Chungus and myself go at like really, really brutal crimes. They are no brutal, too, barred. man. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <clears throat> They're hard for me to even speak out mm-hmm. uh, and for, for us to do together. And uh, I think that that was about it. We have Leroy Luna with his, excuse me, that's a leader, illegal, but that's not with 1159. He's on his own, but we should mention him. Excuse me, mm-hmm, that's illegal. Mm-hmm. We have a lot. Yep. We have a lot going Patreon, on. Patreon, we've got Dark Calls, which is the just the darker, yep. ver- the, it's kind of the black coffee version of this show, 911 Calls. And, and we've talked about that before. Uh, Dead Time Stories, your show, Dead Time Stories, where where it's, it's, it's brilliant writing once again in these uh, very... Well crafted stories are on the tier thirteen over on Patreon too. Yeah, you got it. You got it. And we should say that we're starting going forward. These nine one one calls usually right now feels like an unedited episode, and mm-hmm. we'll get to the call right now. This is a little bit different what we're doing right now, and in the last one. But we'll start having the completely unedited versions of nine one one calls available strictly on Patreon at the five dollar and thirteen dollar level. And yeah. we'll we'll edit a little bit more here going forward, so it's a smoother experience for those who don't need all this extra chatter. Yeah, if you're if you're hearing what you're hearing on the public feed, we've already talked for an additional hour over on an Patreon hour, yeah. before yeah. you before you heard us say "Hey Luna" on this yes. one. So, yeah, that's six podcasts, man. How do we do that? We are we are so humble. Also, now they think about it that. <laughs> It's taken us 37 episodes of this show to talk about all of our podcasts. Or maybe we're just really terrible business promoters. I'm not sure. Can I can I say one more thing that I realized the other day? Is that yeah. our first season ended at episode 30. And how many compressions do they tell you to give somebody if they're, you know, while you're doing CPR? It's oh, 30. Yeah. Ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, bing, bang, wada, wada, bing. Yeah, it's 30. 30. Yeah. We're on to the next 30. We took two. Well, you don't do the breasts anymore. People keep reminding me of that. You so. know, though, that people remind me it's back on and then it's back off. So I, I kind of like, I, I just uh, use it like, should I wear a mask? And then I'm like, yes. I decided for myself. I don't listen anymore. I just wear one until people are like, why are you still wearing a mask? It's 2033. I'll be like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah, maybe you're right. Reassess. Personally, I, personally, I'm going to keep on giving people uh, a couple of French kisses in between. Me too. Just to just get those under my belt. I want to kiss yeah. a lot of people in my lifetime. Mine will probably be based on aesthetics. Like if they're pretty, or you know, if the man is you know a certain fit and figure, I, I'll consider the the kissing. Um, hey, that was a train. I heard that train. It's coming around the bend. All right, hey, get into this call. So this yep. call takes place in the home of the Engelhart family. Hmm. Uh, they live in Hoffman Estates. 
Not to be confused with Hoffman's Escape, where Mark Hoffman, a character from the Saw movie franchise, where his head is put in an exploding vice contraption on a timer, where if he doesn't get out in time, it will open like a reverse bear trap and separate his lower jaw from the rest of his headical region. I won't spoil it for you. Watch the movie to find out if it may, he makes it out of life. But Hoffman Estates is where this call takes place. Also a bit of a misnomer. Why? Because it's neither an estate, nor is it where the Hoff man, German music star David Hasselhoff, actually lives. All coming together now. Yeah. it's it. In fact, it is a village suburb outside of Chicago. Also, the average income for residents living in Hoffman estates is 36000 I only bring that up just to drive home the fact that, one... If these are estates, they're probably like sheds or maybe shipping containers or something like that. And two, the Hoffman could probably buy the whole village with the earnings from his hit single, Taylor Ann, from his 1991 album eponymously titled David. David. Yeah. Remember that one? Yeah. That's a good one. Another beauty. Another beauty. Just pour it into your earballs, people. <laughs> anyway, back to the Englehart <laughs> family. Right. It was April 17th. 2009 how about I just hit play you ready for me to hit play yeah I'm ready here we go you okay who's hurt Oh, my mom and my sister and my boyfriend. What happened? Oh, it's going on. I'm sorry. I just need to read it again. Do not hang up with me. Hold on. Oh, okay. Okay, ma'am. I need you to calm down, okay? Tell me exactly what happened. I need you to tell me exactly what happened, okay? Uh, uh, Hello, what's happening over there? Uh, hello, yeah, uh, what's happening? Uh, uh, hello, what are you doing here? Uh, Yeah. 
Okay. The recording is a bit garbled on this call, so I'll translate a bit of what you've heard. The first voice on the call to 911 is that of Amanda Engelhart. She was dating a boy man named DeAndre Howard. Then you hear DeAndre come on the phone shortly after the phone call begins. The dispatcher asks him, what has happened? To which he replies, oh, it already happened. Because typically, apparently, people call 911 before stuff happens. So I'm glad he made that clarification. Thank you very yeah. much, DeAndre. Next, DeAndre says that he is woozy, followed by, she stabbed me. She stabbed me in the arm. <laughs> At this point, the phone uh, magically is handed back to Amanda. When the dispatcher asks her who stabbed him, she says her sister stabbed DeAndre. When asked why, she said it's kind of a long story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Then the phone magically appears in DeAndre's hand again, and he explains that Amanda is his fiance and that they are getting married this summer in the backyard. Uh, Yeah, not anymore. Yeah. Then, as if the pain in his arm is too much to bear, he exclaims, I'm not going to make it. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, man, where else did he get stabbed? Yeah. In the heart? Exactly. You'd think his brain stem had been severed slightly because this guy was just having a hard time. (laughs) Then, through the pain, he exclaims that Amanda's sister stabbed him in the arm and then he stabbed her back. And now the sister is on the ground and, quote, unquote, She's not talking, which is code for, quote unquote, she's dead. Uh, (laughs) But DeAndre is thinking on his feet, trying to lean on the self-defense angle. Most likely he's leaning on that angle with his good arm. But you can pretty much make out the next part of Amanda's dad also being not talking or dead. And then DeAndre reminds everyone that he is dying from his arm wound. Uh, Then... In some superhuman feat of strength, he cries for his mom. Mommy! Mommy! It's like an Adrian moment. Yeah. This is, I find really interesting because his mother actually gave him up uh, at age of six. He was turned over and became a ward of the state uh, for the rest of his childhood. Weird that he thought that she might be, you know, nearby to help in this situation. Maybe he just thought that's something you say in these type of situations. You know, yeah. Scream out for him. So this guy's gone bananas and committed some kind of maniacal crime, and he's making it all about himself. That's well, I'm taking from it. A- according to the call, you would think that, you know, this was self-defense. He got stabbed in the arm, so he willy-nilly killed the sister then it gets weird because the dad's dead somehow no one's talking about why because according to amanda it's a long story when the dispatcher asks deandre what happened he seems to pass out and is more or less unresponsive on the phone so amanda picks the phone back up and says that the emergency resources have made it to the door but false alarm they weren't there yet So Amanda explains that DeAndre kept coming in and out. I'm guessing of consciousness or maybe a fever dream he was having where he was visited by his mother that abandoned him. I'm not quite sure. So Hmm. based on the call and everything you've heard, just off the call information, what do you think is up with this, Luna? I I think I kind of answered already, but it feels like he's done something terrible. 
and now he's trying to make it all about himself. I mean, if people are around and they're unresponsive, and what's getting me though is the 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 girl, his his wife, Amanda. I can't tell if she's concerned about him or for her family. I believe she's concerned for her family and him. But if yeah. he just like did something terrible to her entire family, why would she be concerned with him and and even interacting with him in any way? I don't hear her yelling at go like DeAndre, what'd you do and all, yeah. all this kind of stuff, right? right. It's, it's it's it sounds like a pretty warped uh, relationship and situation. Yes, I, and I thought the same thing. I'm like, why is she? Because she's kind of tiptoeing around what happened. She's saying it's a long story. Literally, people are dead, and she's not giving the dispatcher much to go off. And I so I thought one of two things. I thought maybe shock. Um, she's just kind of completely out of out of it. Or two, she could feel that the threat has not been quelled, and that if right. she starts pointing a finger at him, uh. he could keep killing people. Maybe. That's a good call. That's a good call. She's trying to, yeah, because he hasn't attacked her yet, and that's her fiance, right? Yeah, oh. and, and he's mm-hmm. he's got more people that he could be killing. So, okay, part part two question: Can you die of a superficial stab wound to the bicep? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't so, think so. I think this is a good time to give a little bit of medical knowledge. Uh, this is actually, I think, really helpful. This is kind of knowledge you just tuck away in the back of your head, and it's. Really comes in handy, okay? So mm. here's a good here's a good rule of thumb on bleeding out or exsanguination, which is the mm. act of draining a person, animal, or organ of its total blood contents. Mm. So question number one you want to ask, well, you will be confronted with this question first. Is it is the bleeding steadily uh, is the bleeding steadily out of the wound? Uh, yes. Doesn't matter. No. Doesn't matter. So you move on. I bring this up because people can become really overwhelmed when they see blood flowing out of a body. So, But in any instance of blood flowing out of the body, you need to ask yourself the next question first and probably do it really quickly. So there are three types of bleeding uh, to be aware of. One is called capillary bleeding. This is like getting cut on the finger or a cut that only affects the skin. So no critical resources of blood below the skin um, have been affected. So the blood is produced from the damaged capillaries that are found in the skin tissue at the site of the wound. So, you know, just a superficial wound is what you would call it. Um, then you have venous bleeding or bleeding from a vein. Not to be confused with venous bleeding, which is a conceptual approach to bleeding off the dangerous elements in the planet Venus's atmosphere to allow for Venus to become habitable. It's a long shot, I'll be honest. More on that in another podcast, maybe about coins and planets and stuff. But venous bleeding is bleeding coming from a wound that has in some way opened up a vein. Okay? Okay. So in both of these cases, in capillary bleeding and venous bleeding, you should apply direct pressure to the wound. In the case of a deep wound, you may also consider packing the wound with clean gauze or something to stave off excessive hemorrhage because the wound could, you know, just continue to bleed. So direct pressure, and believe it or not, it's usually more pressure than you would want to push because, you know, the person in pain, pain should be secondary to their survival in these cases. All right, the big daddy of bleeding out is called arterial bleeding. And this kind of bleeding shoots blood out in relation to the beating of the heart. So, uh, 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 you're going to die. You're going to die. Okay, like that kind of thing. 
So your the arteries in your body are big enough that uh, you could bleed a body out in as little as five minutes if it's not treated. Uh, so you should one apply direct pressure to this kind of wound and apply a tourniquet two to three inches above the wound on the extremity where the wound is is uh, taking place or located. Except the neck. Don't apply a tourniquet to the neck because they also have to breathe to stay alive. So don't do that. Instead, you're going to use like if there's a neck, uh, a neck wound and it's going right. You're going to use a Spock pinch. You know, that Spock pinch that they use in Star Trek where he grabs him by the neck shoulder area. Uh, gotcha. Also, it's uh, it's where you put your finger to feel for your pulse in your neck. So that's mm-hmm. where you want to be. And you want to get four fingers on that from, if you can, be behind them. So you're kind of doing that Spock pinch and holding that close. Or if the blood is spurting out of like the shoulder region or like near their collarbone, that could be the subclavian artery that's been cut. And so you want to... Uh, Put your fingers just above the collarbone and then down into their shoulder to to block off that artery because it kind of comes like a tree branch up from your heart and loops just slightly above the collarbone and then down into your shoulder. So you want to be there to to uh, stop that. I remember being in a first aid classes up. And I remember people saying who had never been in a situation where someone's really hurt around them and having to mm. deal with it. And they're like, well, wouldn't like the things that you're saying, it's like, well, wouldn't that hurt? And you kind of mentioned that earlier, too. It's And the answer is, yeah, but like it already really hurts. So don't yeah. worry. About, I, I'm reminded of like uh, in football, Dak Prescott. He's a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. He's running along and he snaps his ankle. And it's a gruesome injury, and you see him put his foot up. And the first thing he does is he tries to smack it onto the turf and smack it back into place. Oh. And there's people going like, wouldn't that hurt? It's like, yeah, but it already hurts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's trying to fix it. <laughs> yeah, let's get beyond the pain. And you'll notice that like uh, in trauma, uh, triage type of situations, pain is not really a factor if life is on the line, they need to move quickly yep. and they know that they know it hurts, but you'd rather it hurt and then fix you than hurt and you die. So there's right. also a numbness that overcomes you. Like your body does help mm-hmm. you in certain situations yeah. where it just, you're just numb from the shock of it all. Yes. Shock kicks in, which is good and bad because it protects you from feeling the pain, but also can, it can kill you too, right? Can kill you. Yeah. Um, okay. So was Deandre even close to dying? No. Could he have been passed out from blood loss? Super not likely. Shock, maybe? Faking it? it super totally probably. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So, hey, Luna, do you have anything that you'd like to add at this point? Oh, God. I know what you're doing right away. Do you have nothing else to add? <laughs> no. Do you? Yes. An ad. We got to pay the bills. Yeah, we got to pay the bills. Okay, uh, here's the backstory on this call. Uh, the Engelharts had taken in and supported DeAndre when he began dating their daughter, Amanda. He had met Amanda at a party in 2006, uh, and they became involved. Over the next few years, things had its ups and downs, as a lot of relationships do. DeAndre was constantly suspicious and accusatory of Amanda. He claimed all the time that uh, Amanda had not been faithful to him. Uh, all of this, though, was a fig newton of his imagination. None of it was real. 
And we've covered this in the past. Usually, it is the case with with guys or even girls like this that they're the ones who are having the impure thoughts, or, or they're actually cheating on the other person. So, they're paranoid. The same thing happening to them that they're doing to the other person. It's like a self fulfilling prophecy in a lot of cases too, where you push the person so much of accusing them of that thing. And they actually begin to do it because you're turning them off so much that they go to somebody else who is not being so accusatory and paranoid. Yes. Right? Yeah. They pro- they start by projecting, and then it becomes a scratch that they can't itch because they don't trust themselves. And then, like you said, it fulfills itself. Uh, yeah. Which then they're a victim. Then they're like, "See, I told you." And you're like, yeah. "Oh man!" And everybody scratches their head and walks away from you. So yeah, like we said, all this was a myth. Uh, but things were no different on the day before the call took place. They argued off and on all before DeAndre ordered her and their eight-month-old daughter out of the apartment that they shared uh, there in town. So she took the baby and herself. I guess when you take yourself, you're always taking yourself. So she took the baby and herself uh, to her parents' house uh, there in, in town. Uh, DeAndre showed up at her parents' house around 2 a.m. Hi. <laughs> yeah, hi. Just wanted to talk. What are you guys doing? What are you doing? Playing games? I feel like you're cheating on me! You know, and then... <laughs> yeah. Mind if I come in? Yes. Oh, well. It's happening anyways. <laughs> he came over, and they, they, they talked for a while, and then Amanda fell asleep. She said that she awoke to find him holding a knife to her throat and said that DeAndre ordered her and Shelly, who's Amanda's mom, to sit back-to-back on the floor in the den, and he tied their hands together with Shelly's yarn. I don't know if this was symbolic, maybe, or more aesthetic. Definitely not the highest tensile strength cord he could have used. If it were me, I would have insisted on using, like, several skeins of yarn to feel confident that they couldn't wriggle free. But it's like my grandma never said, knit one, purl two together, so... I guess it's possible. Wow. Skein, skein, what? Skein. skein of yarn? Yeah, skein of yarn. And you know, those are like floppy, like floppy loads of yarn you can get at the craft store. That's called a skein. Oh, they look like neck pillows? Yeah. Yeah. They are, yeah. are big pills. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Skeins. Anyway, I don't know if he used a whole skein or not. I would have. Um, I could not fit a skein of yarn down my throat. That's one thing I could not deep throat. There you go. <laughs> That's a lot of fiber. <laughs> and a lot of pushing. So, yeah. yeah, It's just the feel in your mouth, you know. Yeah, I f- I'm glad you found your, your deep throat thresholds there. Good, good job. <laughs> yeah. After he tied them up with yarn, he continues the same song and dance. He keeps accusing her of cheating on him. And then he started whining about that her family like never accepted him. And after that, he went upstairs and woke up Laura, who's Amanda's sister, at knife point and brings her down into the den and tied her up. Uh, When Laura entered the room, he ordered her to sit on the sofa, uh, saying he wanted to talk to her. And then he put the knife down and untied Laura for some reason. Uh, She grabbed the knife and stabbed him in the arm, superficially, superficial wound, once again, you know. Made it through the skin. Mm. That's about it. They end up fighting for the knife. There's quite a kerfuffle that happens here. Uh, And he grabs the knife and stabs her several times. Stabs Uh, Laura. Yeah. Yes, stabs Laura. Shelly, the mom who's tied up back to back with uh, Amanda, 
start screaming at him to stop. And so he stabbed Shelly multiple times. <sighs> Remember, Amanda's tied to her mom and she's getting stabbed. Like, just what? And later on, she's like, oh, I, don't, I don't know what happened. Yeah, it's a long story. <laughs> uh, sounds like you're telling us a long yarn. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Next, DeAndre left the room because he heard Amanda's grandma in the kitchen. What's all the kerfuffle? What's going on out there? She was awakened from the commotion. He stabbed her to death in the kitchen. Wow. So that's one that didn't even make it onto the call. Like, nobody mentioned grandma. No, they didn't. No. There's a lot of talk about his, his wound on his arm, that's for sure. A ton, right? Yeah, so now now the story starts coming out. And now you start seeing that this guy's just a big old tool, right? I mean, jeez. Mm. All right, so the screams from the kitchen and the den and the, the death throes of Grandma also woke up Alan Englehart, who's Amanda's dad. He made it down into the kitchen where he was also stabbed to death. Oh, this is a horror show. Yeah, and then he brings them all into the den, uh, which is what? what? What, he drags the bodies into the den? Yeah, he brings them in there. So with all of her families dead and dying, laying around, DeAndre ripped the phone off the wall and refused to let her call 911. And then he's walking between the den and the kitchen, moving bodies, all this, constantly just apologizing off and on to everybody that's still breathing. Amanda said that he kept saying that he was sorry that demons had gotten him. Finally, he re-enters the den and he lays down next to Laura, which is the first one that he had stabbed, right? She's laying down, dying. Right. Amanda's sister, his sister-in-law, future. Yeah, and, and she's dying from the multiple stab wounds. And he, uh, Amanda said that he apologized to her while she's laying there dying. Laura's last words were, I forgive you. And oh then she God. died. That's powerful. Yeah. Uh, so the ambulance, the EMTs, the police, they all show up. Uh, scene is buttoned up pretty quick. DeAndre's taken away. Um, the family is left to sort out this sordid nightmare that has happened. Nearly five years now, fast forward, five years has passed after the incident where DeAndre was arrested in the home where he stabbed to death his girlfriend's 18-year-old sister, Laura, her father, Alan, her maternal grandmother, Marlene Gasek, and Amanda's mother was seriously injured from the stab wounds that he inflicted, but she survived and uh, she testified at the trial, actually. You know what I just realized there, Rob? Is um, for all this, the, the time we spent kind of making fun of him with his superficial arm wound, mm -hmm. he was probably now knowing that she, uh, Laura had forgiven him before she passed away there. I believe that he, he was likely just expressing all of the confused emotion that he was experiencing obviously there's a lot of emotion if you're not a murderous person maybe he's suffering from some kind of mental illness he had this break and he's killed all these people and then has one forgive him and then it's all being expressed because he's still having some kind of self-preservation and not wanting to admit to what he'd done but he's expressing it all his pain his his emotional pain from this entire situation through the the superficial wound physical pain on his arm yeah, I agree. Probably why he was yelling for his mom, too, because that was yeah. welling up. Also, probably, like we've talked about, you know, you, you, you fear what you don't know, and we have compassion for those things that we have context 
or we know the story. And that is probably a, a portion of the reason why Amanda wasn't completely just pointing the finger at him on the phone because she she knows she he's not a killer, she, but th- he just flipped, um, killed the whole family. Hard, so Hard to feel sorry for somebody in that moment, but if they yeah. are expressing remorse and you see that they've been completely broken down, if you aren't a spiteful person, even though that's your whole family around you, maybe she has some love for him still. It's a, God, life is so complicated. And uh, in chaotic situations, not like it is in the movies, that's for sure. It, 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 you, you will feel different later on once the smoke is cleared. Yeah. Um, but in the moment, I mean, people behave rather strangely. Uh, that's, yes. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, that's powerful, too. You know, just that Laura forgave him. That was literally the last it thing is. she said. You know, it's just a lot of... Uh, tells you how much you know he was saying that the family never accepted him and everything but to forgive someone like that and you know that your life is ending uh that means probably she had a good level of compassion for him and understood his his plight or well think about this moments before she's in a situation where she's so angry and so freaked out by it that she breaks loose grabs the knife and stabs him with it superficially because she didn't have her whole heart into it maybe Mm -hmm. i mean it's a hard thing to do to stab somebody anyways and then she is murdered, and she knows that she's going to die. I, I believe that, that she knows she's going to die in that moment, and, and the act of forgiveness. You can spend your whole life pretending that you can, you can or or convincing yourself that you can understand maybe the words from the Bible or, or Buddhism or whatever religion you want to call it, just spiritualism, mm-hmm. right. and saying that you understand it. But you don't know if you do until, like, the very last moments. And I think that her, she's 18 years old, right? Yeah, yeah. And her whole life is gone now, and she likely recognizes that, and she's on her way out, and her last act as a human being is to forgive the person who murdered her. Can you imagine the speed of uh, spiritual awakening, the ability to be able to do that kind of selfless, you know, pure act yeah. to somebody who could still be a threat to your sister and everybody else, and, and do that on your way out is, is yeah. an incredible thing. That's well, really incredible. Imagine being her or any member of that family, too, to your point. Sitting in that home with the parent, sitting in the parents' home, you know, throw it six months in the past. Amanda's living with this guy. They're constantly having fights. It feels like a very unstable situation. They have a little baby in that, in their apartment. And the rest of the family has to, like, understand enough to, you know, to let that kind of just play itself out like we do when we, when we look at loved ones. We're like, man, my heart breaks for them. You know, just just the level of context that they must have had to to continue to support Amanda, to to you know support the baby, not want to swoop in and save the day and kick you know kick him to the curb, but support him too and love him through all this. Man, I suddenly have a change of mind in what I just said too. Uh, just another possibility to put it out there because I hate putting words and in, in, or, or whatever into the the uh, victim's mind, like saying right. that I understand it. But I think that this could be a possibility as well. It could have been an act of diffusion. It could have been yeah. her way of, of bringing him down a peg. If she forgives him, right? Then he then hit his levels of anger and 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 emotion come down mm. as a result. Maybe she intentionally did that as a way of protecting the rest of her family. That's very good. That's man. Once again, I mean, whatever she did, she did it right, and she did yeah. it, and it and it worked because nobody else. Well, once she said that, nobody else died. Yeah, he fell apart. Right. 
All right. So, well, he pled not guilty by reason of insanity, uh, but he was convicted of first-degree murder and attempted murder in the three deaths and the attempted death of Shelley. Um, the defense asked for leniency for DeAndre, saying he suffered from mental illness and he never had a chance in life. I love that line. <clears throat> that's the reason you should that, – that qualifies you. You know, it's, That's your get-out-of-jail-free card for murdering people is you never had a chance in life. Yeah, you're abandoned at six years old and now you're allowed to kill whoever you want. Yeah, it's it's just garbage. But I mean, these are lawyers. That's yeah. what they do. Right. They're they're playing on the emotions because you know we all know there are a lot of people that went through that same routine and didn't kill yeah. people. Um, the prosecution, on the other hand, they asked for the maximum sentence, uh, saying that he planned the murders and made family members quote watch their loved ones dead and dying in the home. Um, he also, yeah. I think, added to the problem by. Refusing to let them help and delaying any calls to 911, you know? Yep. Mm -hmm. So the judge, uh, upon sentencing, uh, said that the Englehart family welcomed Howard into their home for years. And they tried to give him support and a chance in life, actually. And she said, quote, his response was to murder three members of that family, uh, which I... Yeah, I'm like, no, that's not the way you say thank you. Um, he was sentenced to three life sentences without parole, plus an additional 60 years. Yeah. Uh, he filed an appeal, believe it or not, because he felt that the judge didn't let him whine about his lack of opportunity in the world leading up to the massacre. Uh, yeah. That was swiftly denied in 2018. So What a loser. You know, to, to even file the appeal, I, I, I continuously say it, but... <clears throat> You can really tell a lot about it, somebody and their level of remorse when it comes to something like that. You never file the appeal if you truly have remorse about yeah. that. You don't want to drag anybody else back through this whole rigmarole and, and memories of what you have done. If you've truly taken a look at yourself and you feel remorse for it, you would never file the appeal. So hopefully he gets uh, friggin' shanked somewhere other than his bicep in prison. My heart... My heart feels for the guy for being abandoned at six and all that. But when you're playing up your whole life of not having a chance and that's the justification for you killing a bunch of people, no, rot. That's my answer. Here's yeah. the thing. If if he had stopped at, at what he considered to be self-defense or even he lost it and stabbed Laura to death, mm -hmm. this might be a bit of a different conversation. But he right. walked through that house and he killed a bunch of people. He killed right. grandma. Come on. Yeah. Like. And he was doing it to torture Amanda. He was doing it in front of her. He brought yes. the bodies in. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what you've done type thing, maybe, right? We never know yeah. for sure. I What gets kind of uh, missed, at least in our conversation, is the father coming downstairs to see what was the matter and getting stabbed immediately a bunch of times, probably in the chest, I'm assuming, and being killed, trying to help his family. It's funny because we all have this built up in our minds what we would do in an exact situation like this. We think that we're prepared. We think that we would act uh, the way that we've trained ourselves maybe mentally to, to act. But sometimes you come downstairs scratching your ass, half asleep, and you come around the corner and you get stabbed to death. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. Yep. And you know, and you know as you're, be as you're dying that your family is in extreme danger. His daughter's dead. Totally. Well, and we are dead. rarely put in situations. There's a lot of videos to, to back this up, too, that the human body, as it continues to take blows that are life-threatening, 
it starts winding down. You don't right. – very rarely is it like the movies where you're bleeding out and you're dying and you find enough energy to burst up and to break the neck of your assailant. It just – you know, most of the time, no. All of the desire and everything that you have is is met with your body's inability to and uh, to to overcome, and you end up succumbing to the wounds that that you've been inflicted. Yeah, you'll know unless you're a very trained and, and tough person. I mean, myself being in like fights and just mm-hmm. getting hit maybe in the jaw and re- feeling my lights go out for a second. It's like I don't want any part of this now. Like right. I am compromised. I, I'm going to try to start backpedaling away, and I hope that people come in and break this up. Yeah. Even as a child, getting Charlie horsed when you when you're, you're you're fighting with your brother or something like that, and somebody hits you really hard, and you Charlie horse. Hey, stop! Stop! Time out! Time out! <laughs> right? Like right. that's that's how I imagine it too. You just kind of shut down. I think we talked on a dark meat video live stream one time about me getting jumped in Denver and it answered the question, what do I do in a terrible situation where I get accosted physically? The answer is I start talking a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Fortunately, I got myself out of it, which is super weird. Hopefully they're not listening because they will find me. And now that they knew that I lied about (laughs) being in the witness relocation program and everything, they'll find me. They'll kill me. Finish the job. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, well, um, that's that's uh, hopefully the last time we ever have to hear about DeAndre Howard. Um, The family did go on to say that this incident did not break the family and that they won't be defined by this, uh, which I think are powerful words also. Well, who's left to say that? Is that Amanda? Amanda. Shelly survived. Shelly did too. Amanda and Shelly. Yeah. Oh, they have a brother who was away when this happened, so he's he's also alive. Amanda bothers me, and I'm sorry. I mean, if I might be wrong about that, that but there's something about Amanda that's bothering me in this whole thing. That still is at the end. I I, I just feel like there's there was I, I don't know her. I don't I don't know, but I did see. I looked into. It, I saw a picture of her walking in and stuff, and I just get a bad vibe. So it's, I I can I can understand where you're coming from there. And I think what I would say is I get a bad vibe about everyone in my personal life that I know that is abused. I get a bad vibe because the the brain does weird things to the abused. They hmm. they won't get out of the situation when you want them to. And all the things that we as the not abused want for them runs counter to the way that they act and right. the things they say. And it can be very aggravating and it feels and, – and we are at odds because we don't want – obviously, we don't want to accuse or criticize the victim in the case. But but oftentimes, especially with people that are abused, their their actions don't – the math is weird um, until they're way far away from the abuse. And then they realize, they're like, wow, I can't believe I stayed that long. So I, I – Personally, I pick up on a little bit of that on this phone call. Either she was, you know, like, he's going to kill me if I point the finger at him or if I say too much. Or even if, like, years, you know, three years of abuse from this guy had put her in that mindset where she's locked up. She won't won't call him out. She won't, you know, call the cops. I don't know. I don't know. And like like you said before, it's really not fair of us to say. It's not fair of me to have even said that. Um, We don't know. I think I'm drawing from past experience with other cases 
where mm-hmm. you know somebody kills like their whole family or kills their child, like a man kills the child to get back at the woman, and then she's still visiting him in prison. Yes, that's the kind of vibe I'm getting, and that's not fair because I don't know that for certain. Uh, that's probably just uh, residuals from from my past experience with other cases. Now I hear you though. I mean, in this case, that the us is just normal people, the out, outside looking in. It seems like your whole family is murdered in front of you. There should be enough rage that that it is it supersedes the protection that you're giving the the, the killer. Yeah, uh, you know that that would be the thing. That would be the thing that ends up on the phone call. The rage and the fear and the sobbing and why did you do this and all that, which right. once again is sort of basic textbook about abuse. People they they just sometimes don't operate. Or function like we think they should. Their priorities are addicts too. You know, yeah. uh, their priorities are upside down oftentimes, Definitely. and it's 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 because of what's happened. It's it's not that they're terrible people. It's it's this this the the chorus of circumstances. I think have put a lot of those people in that situation. And I'm totally reading into it. I don't no, you're know right. what's you're going right. on. But. And we're all imperfect, man. We really are. We're not like movie characters. I mean, we want to be more like the people we read about in books or see in movies, but those are all scripted and they're made to be perfect. They're yeah. in, their, in their way and, and all of us individually are are very imperfect and, and weak in a lot of ways and I don't know if you can uh, blame anybody except for when they go and kill somebody's Family. Kill somebody's whole family. Yeah. Right. I like to think of myself as a movie character. I like to mm-hmm. think that, you know, peop- like, I, I feel like people let me get away with things that they wouldn't let uh, another person get away with, uh, probably because of my skill in manipulation. I want to say that's what it is. Like, I could be a good spy, I think, or a killer. Oh, I think you might stand out a little too much, but <laughs> whatever you want to believe. <laughs> All right. Okay. Disagree to potato, tomato. Um, hey, you want a happy ending? I'll take it up. Yes. Okay. All right. This one needs no uh, context or anything. This uh, is just a treat for the ears. You ready for me to hit play? I'm ready. Okay. Here we go. 911, what's your emergency? Yes. um, It's a weird circle up in the sky. Um. It's a round, full circle, and it's dark in the middle. This has never happened in Tampa, Florida. Please go outside, look up in the sky, and look at this weird object, and I need to get the news people on is, this. Is it a cloud, or is it a... It's not a cloud. It's, it's a big black circle in the middle, and it's all the way around. And it's never been in the United States of America. Never, ever. No, it's not a tornado, is it? No, ma'am. So it's some the luck is getting a little bigger and bigger. You go outside and look up in the sky. Where is it? What's your address, ma'am? I'm at Nat Park here. Uh, what? What is that? It's in the. It's in the whole world. I mean, anybody can walk outside and look at it. It's. It's there. Well, I need your address so we can go to it and look. It's just a big old black circle. It's a big circle, and around it is like a little light yellow-looking color around it, but it's filtered right over the next So it's a black circle with a yellow circle around it. Right. You can just walk outside of your office right now and look in the sky, and you can see that from anywhere. This is this is earthly. All right, ma'am. I'll tell the deputies, okay, in that area. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Whoa. What do you think she saw? I don't know. It sounds like a storm forming. I, I, I don't know. A, a blimp? Not sure. 
it was the deputies arrived okay. and they asked her to point it out. Do you know what she kept pointing to? What? The sun. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Ain't never seen nothing like this in Tampa, Florida in the history of the United States of America. Go out and she says, "Where do you live?" Go out, go outside, and you can see it. This is in the whole world, she said. Whoa! Yeah, the oh whole world God. can see the it. Whole world, unless it's nighttime. Wow! Oh, it was the sun. Turned out to be the sun. So, jeez, <laughs> gotta get her eyes checked. Hey, I, I was really with her for a minute there, man. I was like, oh, we got one. Nice. I, yeah, I thought this was like UFO. I thought, oh yeah, man, so this could be a whole episode, a but no, it's the sun. It was just the sun. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, bless her heart. I feel bad for her. I must have looked different. You know, sometimes some days the the sun does look different when it comes to yeah. overcast and clouds and, and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, but she was she was pretty convinced. She was pretty convinced. That's embarrassing. Before I knew any better as a kid, before anyone, I guess, or before I heard and confirmed people say don't stare directly at the sun. I remember yeah. staring directly at the sun. And I thought it was cool. If you stared at it long enough, it kind of went purple and it, it got darker. And I was like, oh, maybe. And also there are certain drugs. Some people take, maybe it's LSD, where they'll they'll blind themselves because they just keep staring at the sun. So I kind of wonder if maybe she was staring at the sun too long and it kind of did that thing with your eyes where it's like, I can't handle all the light you're putting into my eyeballs. So I'm just yeah. going to kind of shut it down a little bit and it'll make it dark for you. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if she had problems with her eyes, uh, like in general, right? And Probably. just looking up and it just, I, I, I'm sure it just looked a little bit different on that day. There are days yeah. when the sun looks super strange. Or you've got the cloud overcast and then there's like a halo around the sun. Well, that's it. So, yeah. It's got to right? be it, right? Yeah, she, was, she was mentioning that. Oh, man. I thought at the end I was like, <laughs> she was wearing glasses and like something <laughs> got on her glasses. <laughs> You know, like someone was eating a Twinkie and it squirted at the end and she didn't realize it. And then it jellified and she was like, oh, shit. Ah, <laughs> oh, crap. My fault. It's just a chigger bug on my glasses. It's a chigger bug. <laughs> it's oh, moving man. around. Now it's on my face. In the whole world, it's on my face. <laughs> Come outside and look at my face. <laughs> anyway, oh, sometimes you do accents, and I think that it, it's like, uh oh, <laughs> uh oh, uh oh. That's why I try to do every single one really bad. That way, no, I can't be do. accused of doing anything really good or accurate. <laughs> hey, man, if it's accurate, it's accurate. You, if you, just, yeah. you can't help it. Yeah. Six to ten, one of another, half of a dozen. I've heard, so you know. Mm-hmm. What they say. Um, well, that's all I got. That's all I got. This was a fun. This was a fun time. And when I say accent, that was a white woman from like, yes. Alabama or something, Her, right? Yeah. yeah, from Florida. Her name was Darlene. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, she had a muumu on when she saw it. So yeah, right. Yeah, we're all good. <laughs> You're gonna hurt some some white women. <laughs> yeah. uh, feelings we, there. That's what yeah. I was worried about. Well, I'm always offending somebody, so. Hmm. The white, the white women can take it. I feel they should. They deserve it. <laughs> they, they can't. They can't. <laughs> they can't. No. 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 They probably. Do. They're the ones who can take it the least. <laughs> the American Karen Organization of America comes after me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly, man. 
All right. Uh, well, see you later. I got to go. Okay, you go freeze to death, and I'll, uh, I don't know. It snowed here, so I'll go play in the snow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Hugs. Hey, thank you again for lending us your earballs. We couldn't be doing this crazy show without you. And if you like, 1159 is our little production company, and we have six podcasts all together for you to feast on. Three of them are ready and waiting in your favorite podcast player right now. Check out the one that started it all for us, Dark Topic, for amazing writing, amazing stories, and more of Jack's buttery voice. It's like if Bob Ross did a true crime show, like Macabre Ross. And check out True Crime Kent, where Kent Chungus and I take a deep dive with a fine-tooth comb into each story to see how much hair and stuff we can get on the comb. It's fun. And Kent swears. If you're into that sort of thing, I can't control him. He's his own beautiful redneck butterfly. Patreon is loaded up with three exclusive shows, Dark Calls, Brutal, and Dead Time Stories, just in case you run out of free content and have five bucks in your pocket. We love that you love what we are doing. We are grateful that you tell us every day. So many awards, so much love and support in our Facebook groups. It feels really good for the soul, you know? And for all of you, so much hugs.